welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to the generous underwriters of Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Wednesday, June 7th, we are studying Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 to 17. In today's text, war arises in heaven. St. Michael and his angels cast down the dragon and his demons. But the dragon doesn't give up so easily. He prowls the earth in pursuit of the woman who had given birth to the male child. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have this regular guest, Pastor Sean Kilgo. Pastor Kilgo serves at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. Pastor Kilgo, welcome back to Sharper Iron. It's great to be back. Pastor Kilgo, as we start today, give us your thoughts on the book of Revelation as a whole. How should we approach it as Christians, and why is it a beneficial book to us? Well, so I think the opening words, and I'm sure your guest on, on this probably said this as well, the opening words tell you how to read the book of Revelation. It is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. I mean, so the, the whole thing is about Jesus, as all the scriptures are, and you have to read it in that lens. You also have to read it in the lens of the type of literature that it is. This is what's called apocalyptic literature, so it's a little bit more obscure than other other sections of text in the scriptures and is going to uh, lean on um, other areas of, of the Bible as well as kind of background. Uh, St. John is writing this from Patmos and um, there, there's a thought that maybe it's kind of almost encoded so that it can, can get past the, the guards and get to the Christians, but because the Christians know the Old Testament, uh, they're going to be able to understand what he's talking about here, and there's just a bajillion Old Testament uh, references throughout the thing. And then uh, it, it's a great uh, comfort for us. Um, I, I, I made this argument when we were studying at church that I think that the book of Revelation is, in fact, when you understand it rightly— one of the most comforting texts of the scriptures, because what it's doing is it's going headlong into that, and especially what we're going to hear today, that this this battle that is ensuing around us between like good and evil, between the Lord and the devil, between sin and righteousness, all this, like however you want to phrase it. And it's showing us, yeah, that, that battle is there and it is real and it's realer than you, in fact, can imagine and gives some nice pictures to that. But also there is a victory that's already been won of that battle. And you as a Christian are on the victorious side. And so um, I know Pastor Wolf Miller has talked about like how you read this. And I think this is what you end up uh, seeing over and over. John will, um, he will hear something, hear a proclamation, and then he will look and he will see it. And it's especially in the looking that he sees that great reality. So he'll he'll uh, be looking around and, and listening to what's going on and chaos is just ensuing. And then he looks into the, to the heavens where the lamb is seated on the throne and everything is fine. The Lord still reigns. He's still in charge. Uh, the devil's still destroyed. Our sin is still forgiven. Every, everything that we need to happen is still a reality in spite of what's swirling around us at any given moment. 
Now, we're picking up in chapter 12, verse 7 today, and really all of chapter 12 goes very well together. But for the sake of trying to dig into these texts a little bit in a little more detail, we split it up. So help us remember where we are in the story, what's been happening in the book of Revelation, what do we need to know to understand the text we've got today? Yeah, so we're um, we're right after the seventh trumpet, the, the seventh angel is blown the trumpet, and um, you're in this, uh, sometimes it's called like an interlude, um, but in general, you're in this section where it's kind of on a grandiose scale unpacking the story of salvation in, in a really, really wonderful manner. You had that in the previous text, especially the the, the woman who's uh, clothed with the uh, with the sun and the and the moon and all this sort of stuff and bears a child and the dragon's going after and all, all this sort of thing. And this is this, um, go, I mean, going back with some inner imagery back into the garden and uh, foreshadowing even there the, the birth of Christ from Mary um, and then the the proceeding of the church um, uh, from that as a, you know, Mary herself being a picture of the church, uh, all these sorts of things. And then now we're kind of getting into a bit more of the nitty gritty of what happens after all of that has taken place. Mm. So do you, do you see this as an after all that has taken place? Because I, I see some of this as being concurrent, I suppose especially verses 7 to 12, which is, as we were talking before we started, this is one of the readings that we hear every year on St. Michael and all angels. And this war that's described in heaven, I've often pictured as being a concurrent thing with what's happening on earth in terms of the dragon trying to swallow the male child. While that's happening, you know, in Jesus' suffering, death, resurrection, this war in heaven is happening at the same time. I don't know if it, I don't know if that makes a difference or not, but that's the way I've, I've kind of thought. Yeah, of and I mean... For for better or worse, I I tell people when they're when they're reading this and when we're studying this together, um, one of the things to keep in mind is that you're not dealing with a uh, like just throughout the whole thing, you're not dealing with a chronologically linear uh, story, right? And it's just not written that way. And so, um, I I usually waffle a bit on like when exactly is something happening. I'm not really sure, but I can sure. I can you know. I can definitely unpack like the theology of what is happening. I'm and I'm much more concerned with the what than I am the when in a lot of these instances. And the the places, interestingly to me, that is most clear, at least in my in my reading of this text, um, the places that are most clear are the uh, as far as the when is at the consummation of everything. The the actual resurrection seems to be very 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 clear when it shows up, um, and everything else is just kind of muddled together. And I think that might be a bit instructive for us that, you know, regardless of what time period we are living in, between the fall and between the return of Christ, we're fundamentally living in the same times. Um, you know, one time is prior to the to the particular work of Christ in his, uh, especially his death, resurrection, and ascension. Uh, and the other one is like for us after those events, but they're both locked in by faith on those events um, while we live in this life, waiting for the consummation of everything. All right, let's read the text. This is Revelation 12, beginning of verse 7. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. 
And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, to the place where she is to be nourished for a time, and times, and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman, to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman, and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. That's our text for today. That's Revelation 12, verses 7 to 17. Pastor Kilgo, verses 7 to 12 are generally the epistle reading or the second reading for the day, St. Michael and all angels. So that's a, a text that I've, I've heard many times. Every time I read it, it's just a fantastic thing to hear and, and picture. So talk to us about what's going on in heaven here. There's war in heaven, and I think that may be a surprising thing for us to read. Yeah, so um, for anybody that's listening out there that might be like a film producer, something like the Lutheran film producer, somebody needs to make like a, a movie or a short movie out of this out of this scene. I mean, it's just begging for it, and it would be absolutely awesome uh, to behold. But, I mean, it it's always striking when I read this because it's just how the epistle starts, right? War arose in heaven, right? And, you know, you're sitting there thinking like, okay, how is heaven going to be described here in the, in this great cosmic uh, battle going on? Um, you think that it's going to be like the, the peaceful, serene place that's, you know, separate from the war. Like war can't get there for sure. And no, war arose in heaven. And like, oh, well, that's, that's kind of weird. And I think the reason why we think that that's weird is because we have a bit of a, like a misconception about uh, what's, what's kind of always going on in the background, who God is, who the angels are, remembering that the devil and his demons, uh, his angels, um, are all are all angels themselves. Um, and so th this is kind of a nice place to sit on this. I know I've, I've preached on this quite a bit uh, when this comes up, that um, the the angels are soldiers, they're warriors um, in, in the scriptures. That's one of the reasons why you see them going to battle and whatnot, and the Lord sending them to to go to war. It's also why it's actually a comforting thing when the Lord tells us in Matthew that um, uh, um, their angels, the, the the doctrine of the guardian angel, their angels always behold the face of their Father who is in heaven. Um, and so that's a that's a comforting thing that the Lord sends angels to watch over us. They're not like these diaper-clad baby sort of things that you get in Hallmark cards or whatnot. Um, they're not like the, the precious moments sort of things. They're actually soldiers that are, um, they're designed for war. I mean, that, that, that is their, their designation. Um, and so you've got, um, Michael, who seems to be a sort of general, 
um, taking his angels, the ones that he's got charge over, and going against this dragon, who's also a an, a warrior angel, uh, with his a third of the the soldiers that fell from from the heavens, and they're going to battle. But in the background, of this is also the Lord Himself, and we we miss this, I think, in in the the Old Testament. Anytime the Lord is called the Lord of Hosts, that is the Lord of the heavenly armies, but also like He's just straight up de- described like by Moses as a warrior. Um, Moses says the Lord um, is a man of war, right? I mean, that um, in the uh, Song of Moses, I believe is where that shows up. And Exodus 15. Yep, and, and I mean, that is a, uh, a really striking picture of, of God, but it is um, also a very comforting one, as long as you're on the right side of the sword, right? So God, God's a warrior and he's going to go to war and he's going to fight against evil and he's going to fight against the things that, that persecute his people and his church and all the very good of his creation. Um, you just want to make sure that you're on the right side of that sword. And he does carry a sword. I mean, when you read like in the prophets and whatnot, um, it's kind of fascinating. All the armament that we get in the armor of God in Ephesians is actually stuff that the Lord wears in the Old Testament. He himself dons himself mm-hmm. with this. Um, so... We will remember first off that it's it's actually it shouldn't be a surprising thing that there's war going on and that there's warfare between the the devil and Michael and their angels and the Lord Himself, because this is how they're constantly being described. Um, it, and like I said, we we want to make sure that we're on the right side of that, and so that's by faith we stand on the on the hilt side, the handle side of the sword, with the Lord's sword facing outward. Um, and and in that we can we can kind of hear what sort of war this is. Um, that what is the sword? Well, um, it is the sword of the spirit. It is the word of God. It is the the weapon that we fight with? This is the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. And uh, this is where I, I believe it's Brighton uh, talks about that this war is a war of words, um, or or it's a war for souls, right? And the way you get to someone's soul is with words. It's what the devil does in the garden. Um, that's how he wars against Adam and Eve and the Lord himself is with words. He doesn't like put a literal knife up to their, uh, neck and say, eat, eat the fruit. He convinces them through his words and he has continued warring against all of creation and keeps warring against even the Lord's Christians, especially the Lord's Christians in the same way. But the, the Lord himself fights back with the same stuff. He fights back with words, but not just any words, words of the spirit. Mm. And I think I think all of that helps us to understand why we shouldn't be too surprised here about this war arising in heaven. As the war is described, though, and uh, that we shouldn't be surprised by the result, that the dragon is defeated. But then that note toward the end of verse 8, there was no longer any place for them, that is the, the devil and his demons, there was no longer any place for them in heaven. Well, why would there have been a place for them in heaven Anyway, so what, what's that talking about? Pastor yeah, so Joe? I think this is this is talking about what you see, especially in Job, where you have uh, the devil coming in to accuse. I mean, this is what gets gets talked about. Um, the accuser of our brothers has been sh- thrown out, right? So, uh, so the devil being that this accuser, and we we can talk about like all these names that are thrown out. Um, I think this is like the the place where you get like all the names of the devil are just like thrown at you at once, which is kind of cool. But um, he is coming in to accuse Job before God, right? So this is this kind of courtroom sort of scene where 
um, the Lord being the just judge is sitting there and you get this prosecuting attorney coming in and saying all these, all these things about Job and he does the same thing for us. And uh, this is kind of the place that he has um, in the, in, in the courtroom of God is, is as an accuser, as an attorney. And now that the blood of the lamb has come along and has uh, rendered all of those accusations moot, not that they're wrong, because the, the interesting thing is that the, before the Lord, the, the devil tends to argue true things. He argues our sin. Um, but the, what undoes that is the blood of the lamb so that that, that sin no longer stands as, as a valid uh, uh, accusation because it's already been taken care of, right? That the payment for that thing has already been, been taken care of. So you can't use that as valid evidence anymore. So now there's no more place for the devil um, in the Lord's uh, courtroom, which is good news, but it's also, as we'll hear, it's, it's bad news for us because now he comes around as a, as a lion and he's trying to devour people. Sure. Right. So his accusations against us can't stick anymore because Christ's blood covers those sins, forgives those sins. The other place I think in the Old Testament where you see that happening in addition to Job is in the book of Zechariah chapter three, where you've got Joshua, the high priest, who's wearing those, those filthy clothes and this, the devil's there accusing him and here comes the angel of the Lord who gives him clean clothes. And there's another good picture of, of this role of Satan being the accuser, and even of Christ as being the one who defends whose blood covers us so that those accusations don't stick. So we're seeing that here. Talk to us more about the names that are ascribed to the devil, the dragon, the serpent, all of them that are given, some of the significance of, of those names that are given. Okay, well, so you've got the ancient serpent is maybe the most obvious. This is a reference just straight back to the to the garden where you have the serpent goes and um, deceives Adam and Eve. Um, that is that is that picture. Uh, the dragon um, is, is coming along as this picture of um, uh, like power and might and authority. Um, he gets depicted um, uh, elsewhere in, in Revelation as being this... this uh, uh, that this kind of dragon beast sort of thing with like multiple heads and whatnot. And and I think when you combine those together, you see part of the picture of the dragon is that he is pretending to be the Lord. You get this um, uh, way in which the, the, the devil will try and mimic God in his kind of his authoritative work. Um, and, and even how he will speak, you see that in the, the temptation with Jesus, he talks like God. In part of that, he quotes the Bible, this sort of stuff. But it's always, it's always off, right? It's, it's not, it's never actually true. It just might sound nice, at least at, at first glance. Um, and then you get, um, uh, he's called the devil and Satan, and and Satan is like the the almost like the proper name. Um, Lucifer isn't in the Bible for those that are maybe thinking about that one. That one's that one's apocryphal, but. Um, Satan is the, the actual term for like a, uh, um, an accuser, or like a prosecuting attorney. So that, that's where this whole picture, uh, comes in. Um, and then also uh, the one who deceives the entire inhabited world, I think is another title that's sitting here. Um, and that one is going to correspond to John, uh, the gospel of John, where Jesus, uh, says that the devil is a, is a man killer and a liar. Uh, when he speaks, he speaks only lies because he speaks out of his own character, out of his own being. Um, uh, and, and this is, this is simply the des describing the very kind of core essence and nature of the devil that he, 
he lies. He only lies. He has he has the capacity to do nothing else. Mm. All right. So all of those titles stacked together present a very vivid image of who this old evil foe is. We mentioned this briefly yesterday that that Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress, really underscores the reality of what we're seeing here of just how dangerous an enemy we face, and yet at the same time, how powerful a champion we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. Right. And I think I think you can I don't think you can overstate that. That because there's this temptation to think that the devil is either he's this like uh, guy wearing red spandex and a pointy tail and you know the curly mustache or something like that and you look at that and you're like that guy's not a threat and when you kind of like you said when you pile up all these descriptions here of the devil you realize oh this is a guy that if i come toe-to-toe with this guy i am not winning that fight by any means um at least not on my own and this is one of the glorious things that shows up in here is that there actually is a conquering by the saints over the over the devil and his and his angels um but it's again it's with words right we 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 the lord gives us uh the weapon that he uses himself in order to fight against the devil and his and his angels because it is the effective weapon it is the weapon that cannot fail and it's his word right so that this is the sword that we yeah. bear and this is how we how we fight yeah well and and just i mean with all of those titles stacked up there in verse 9 the great dragon the ancient serpent the devil satan the deceiver of the whole world after all that the conclusion of the verse is pretty straightforward that guy he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him and i mean i'm reminded of the way that peter writes in his first epistle when he talks about the devil prowling around like a roaring lion what does he say well then resist him stand firm in your faith and yes he's powerful but the champion on your side is far more powerful. You've got the Lord of Armies on your side, so stand with right. him. Right, and that, that, yeah, resist the devil, and he will flee from you, right? I mean, and that seems like, that almost seems like it's too easy. You just have to, again, you have to know what you're resisting with, right? If, you, if you're trying to resist with your own strength and your own merit, you're going to lose. If you resist with the Word of God and prayer, you will win. That, just, that, that is just how it's going to work. Um, uh, with this maybe, like, caveat, the word of God rightly applied, um, simply like throwing out, like yelling Bible verses is not what this means, right? Uh, but actually utilizing the Lord's word in your own life, in your vocations, in your conscience, in your conduct, like this is what's going to actually resist the devil and he will flee from you because he can't stand uh, where that is. Luther gives this great picture in the um, introduction of the large catechism, Um how do you um, how do you deal with this this devil who is a master of a thousand arts um, with all his arts and power? He says uh, God's word is a is a fumigation uh, uh, to to the devil. It, it just drives him out, right? And it, so it's that that picture like you put a tent over the the house and you throw in all the, the you pump in like gas and everything to to kill everything that's in there. That's what God's word does to the devil. It just it just completely drives him out of the home, which is which is us. Um, and therefore, Luther calls the Lord's word the master of more than a hundred thousand arts. Hmm. Now, John has seen this, and then in verse ten, he hears he hears a loud voice from heaven, and we hear those words with John. Now, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. 
Got about two, three minutes here before the break, Pastor Kilgo. Take us into that verse of, of what this voice is saying from heaven. Yeah, so it's this it's this proclamation of victory, right? So we are we are victorious. That this one, this this great uh, mighty warrior angel guy that's trying to fight against God himself and uh win the souls of men, um, he he's lost. Uh, the salvation, the power, the kingdom, the authority of God and of his Christ are here and they won. Um, and the, the reason why we know that is because this, this guy, this accuser is now cast out. He can't stand before God any longer. Um, and the way, again, the way he's thrown out, that's going to be kind of like beating a dead horse with all this, but the way that he's cast out is by the word of God. Um, and, and in kind of a, a number of pretty profound ways, like you've got the word of God just kind of straight up as we've been talking about it, but you also have, we, we shouldn't forget that Christ is that word incarnate, right? And so this is his blood, and it's the blood of the word, um, not just the blood of the lamb, but it's the blood of the word incarnate that is covering our sins and is driving the devil out of this place. Um, and with that, you have salvation, power, kingdom, and authority. Um, and, and the true versions of all that, right? So, so we should remember the devil's trying to mimic all this stuff and pretend like he has these things. But again, he's a liar. He only lies. Anytime he speaks, he lies. So he doesn't ha actually have any salvation or any power or any kingdom or any authority. The Lord does. And this is manifested in the Lord just saying, shoo, get out of here. You're done, right? That's right. The devil, the dragon, is thrown down and can no longer accuse the brothers. We're going to find out more about those brothers, the saints, on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Sean Kilgo this morning about Revelation chapter 12. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, June 7th. We're studying Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 to 17 with Pastor Sean Kilgo. He serves at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. Pastor Kilgo, prior to the break, we were looking at what the loud voice from heaven says as John hears it. We talked about verse 10, which proclaims the salvation and power that has come from God, thrown Satan out of heaven. He can no longer accuse the brothers day and night. And then John hears this voice talk about those brothers who have conquered him, who have conquered the dragon, but they've done it again in a way that fits in exactly with what you've been saying. So talk about the the nature of the conquering that these brothers, these Christians, have accomplished. Yeah. So th this this word conquer is a is a pretty important word. Um, it's it's the word for victory as well. So it's the word that showed up in the um, the letters to the seven churches. The the one who conquers, I will give to I will give all these different things, right? Um, and we have to remember there that the way that you conquer is by being declared that you are a conqueror. 
It's also, though, the same word that shows up in this, this marvelous text in Romans 8. Um, we are more than conquerors, more than victors through him who loved us and gave himself up for us. So that this, this conquering, that this victory uh, sort of language is tied up to a, um, an imputation, a, a giving of that victory to us. So Christ is the one who's actually won it. He's gone to the cross. He's fought against sin, death, and the devil. Um, he's gone to the grave. He's come out of the grave. He's ascended. Um, he is the victorious one. And in that, then, by faith, we are also declared to be victorious. So um, our conquering, even here, is bound up to the work of Christ. And it becomes pretty clear what's going on, right? So uh, they conquer him because of the blood of the Lamb. So the the reason why... And it's a weird thing, right? So the reason why I have conquered this foe is because this guy over here died. I'm like, well, wait a minute, that that seems a little bit off. But I mean, it's um, it's no different than what happens with David and Goliath, right? So the reason why the Israelites um, uh, win is because David goes and cuts off the head of Goliath, right? So um, you know. He is victorious in that. Now, with Christ, the the kind of the twist with Christ is that he places himself into death, right? So uh, there, there's always kind of a little bit of a twist that you get when you when you run up against the Lord and Christ is not quite happening the way we think it's going to happen. It's one of the great surprises um, that that happens throughout the scriptures and especially in the Gospels. Um, but here, it's because this one over here, the one who is uh, the Lamb of God, because he's died and he's shed his blood, and that blood is actually able to to save. Um, that therefore we are victorious on account of that blood, um, and we are conquerors, and we're also conquerors by the word of their testimony or the word of their witness. And this is the word for for martyrdom. Uh, so it's uh, there. There is a um, at least a a hint at, if not just an overt press towards martyrdom in this, that um, you, and, and I mean, it's in the, they, they, they did not, they loved not their own lives even to death, right? So, I mean, that is, that is being martyred, um, but that even in your death, you're still a conqueror, right? And even more so because now you pass from, from death to life. This is the, um, the, the glorious proclamation of the, of the New Testament, especially that in, in Christ, death no longer has any hold on us. And the devil uh, the, the the book of Hebrews says that the devil is defeated, um, and um, also uh, the the authority that he has is defeated, and that authority or that power is the fear of death. So um, he de- uh, he destroyed the one who has the power of death. That is the devil um, that held all all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Um, that, uh, that's Hebrews four, I believe, and. This is what's going on here. So now there, there's not a fear of death any longer because death just places you into the fullness of this victory in Christ. Your field general, Jesus himself has died and has been raised victorious. You're going to do the same thing. So the devil, who's always bringing this fear of death as his like his chief weapon against us, um, is like, that weapon isn't powerful any longer. It, it doesn't have any teeth anymore. So it, you know, it's, it's like the, um, the, the dull butter knife that you're trying to like, you know, cut somebody with is like, that's not going to actually work. Like this thing hardly cuts butter. It's definitely not going to cut me. 
So um, th- this is the um, the 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 word of their witness, the 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 word of their their testimony, or their martyrdom is also conquering. So it's both the blood of the lamb and their own blood that's bound to the blood of the lamb that's conquering uh, the devil. That is the the lack of a fear of death because death's undone is conquering the devil here. Now, the voice concludes by calling upon the heavens and those who dwell there to rejoice, but speaking about woe that will come to the earth and sea because of the continuing activity of the devil. Take us into verse 12. Yeah, so so like I said, uh, it's, it's good news for sure that the devil's cast out the throne room of God and he can't accuse us there anymore, but that just makes him really mad. And so he get, gets cast out. He's not yet eternally bound into into hell. And so now he's prowling around like a lion and he's going to try and take as many with him as possible. This is the whole like, um, I know that I'm dying and so I'm fine with just blowing everything up in the process, right? So this is like the the, the villain in a, in a movie that he's like sitting there and he's, um, you know, he's he's been like fatally wounded or whatever. And he's laying on the floor and he grabs like the detonator and just blows everything up. And he gets blown up with it, but he doesn't care because he's already he knows he's already dead. So this is the 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 text of like the devil is going to try and take as much with him as possible. And I think this is this is important for us because we need to understand like how uh, how intent the devil is at destroying things. Right? It's not like he's um, he's going out like and normally he's just like laying around at home and you know watching Netflix or something like that, and then every now and then he's like, yeah, I should go around and and cause some trouble, um, you know, for a couple hours, and then you know come back and eat some bagels. No, he's he's constantly going around and causing as much harm as he possibly can. He's trying to destroy as much of the Lord's very good creation as he possibly can. He's trying to take as many souls with him as he possibly can because he knows that he his time is short. He has a limited amount of time to do this, and so he's not going to rest. And he is an adversary that doesn't rest. He doesn't require food. He doesn't require sleep. Uh, he doesn't you know, require any sort of relaxation time. Uh, he is going to constantly be assaulting us, and he has this army that's with him that's, that he's going to send out to assault us as well. And this is why we get exhorted so often, uh, especially in the New Testament, to to be on watch, to be on guard. Um, this is the the uh, the text in Peter with the the adversary. Uh, uh, be on guard or be on watch. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion. Uh, resist him firm in the faith. So we we are we are constantly being being exhorted to be vigilant um, in uh, in in our lives. But again, where where does that vigilance come from? It comes from the scriptures. The, the scriptures are the ones that's going to tell you. First off, you have this foe who's running around out there trying to destroy you and trying to destroy everything. Um, but also, here's the the weapons that you use against that. Here's how you actually li- are to live your life, not according to the lies of this one, because that's going to destroy that. Um, this is how you this is how you live in marriage, not the way the devil would have you do it, but the way the Lord would have you do it. Because the devil, it, it might sound nice at first, but it will ultimately destroy this thing called marriage. This is how you raise children, not as the devil would have you do it, but as the Lord would have you do it, because the devil wants to destroy your children. This is how we live in the church, because the devil wants to destroy the church. The devil wants to, or that God wants to preserve it. Like over and over, it's the same story. Um, 
is, is this uh this reality that you know the devil's a liar but he only has one lie right it's a really really good lie and it's a really potent lie and he can flavor it in different ways but it is only one lie and that is that uh god's wrong right so everything that the devil is trying to do is always trying to direct us away from the truth that is god's word especially in how we are to live out our lives um in faith uh and there is a like you said there there is a urgency that he's doing this with so um it's in a sense it's bad news for us but it's also not entirely bad news because again the lord hasn't left us helpless the lord hasn't just abandoned us on the earth um the lord has given us uh weapons to fight with um as he's promised i will not leave you or abandon you i'll not leave you as orphans right he sent the holy spirit he literally dwells in our bodies as his temple we have all these things that the lord has still given us we have the sacraments that are preserving us. So, you know, we, we have a lot more than we realize usually that the Lord has given to us in order to preserve us in this fight. But we need to realize first and foremost that we're actually in a fight um, and that we have a significantly strong and, uh, and, and terrible and uh, furious adversary um, and that we actually do need to be ready for war and we need to actually participate in that in the way that the Lord has given us to do it. Not running out like with our sword and like slashing off demons heads or something like that. That's not our, that's not our battle. Our battle is to stand firm in the faith according to the word and with all the gifts that he's given us to, to accomplish that. So the dragon has been cast down to the earth and from there, the narrative that sort of got left off a little bit at the end of verse 6, picks back up again with the woman. So we're reminded of that conflict that was going on in the first six verses, where the woman who was going to give birth to the male child, the dragon was going to devour that male child. He failed there, and he's failed in the war in heaven against Michael and his angels. Now that he's been cast down to the earth, he turns his eyes back toward this woman, and he begins to pursue her. And here we do start to see those promises that you brought up, that the Lord will protect his church, even as the devil prowls around in all of his furious anger, attempting to devour us. So the dragon starts to pursue the woman who'd given birth to the male child. And then in verse 14, the woman's given two wings of a great eagle, and she's able to fly from now the serpent, the dragon, into the wilderness. That's the place where she's going to be nourished for three and a half times. We've got some of some of the imagery that we just need to remember what we're talking about here, uh, Pastor. Pastor. Kilo. Yeah. So, um, especially at the three and a half times, this is um, so seven is the number of like perfection or or completeness, and so three and a half is this picture of not forever. Basically, is what what he's saying here. So, so the uh, the woman that the church is going to be uh, in the wilderness. Um, uh, uh, being cared for, being protected uh, from this this adversary for a while, but not forever, right? Forever, e- eternity is for um, the 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 glory of the woman of the of the church and the devil being bound. Um, this is just for for a bit, and you can hear reflections of this all throughout. Like um, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison, right? So. Um, what is this light momentary affliction? Well, individually, it's our entire life, and as a human, uh, as a human race, it is the fall to the return of Christ. Um, I mean that neither of those really feel light or momentary, but in comparison to eternity, 
it is, right? So this is the same thing with the church, right? The church, for a moment, um, endures the assaults of the devil, protected by the Lord. Um, this is the the the, the eagle um, that given the wings of the eagle to fly away, um, uh, in order to be preserved from the uh, the assaults of the devil for a, for a while. And it's you know, it's been in in this instance, if if we're placing this after the ascension, um, you know, this has been couple thousand years that seems like a long time but uh you know a couple thousand years in view of an eternity of years is actually just a blip right so we so we can endure this and and this is part of the the capacity of the church to endure suffering in uh, christians also to endure suffering to endure trial is we know that it's but for a moment um this is the uh the little while that Jesus is talking about in John 16, a little while and you will see me, a little a little while you will not see me, a little, again a little while you will see me. And that, that word there is so great because it's a, it's a micron, right? It's just this tiny little blip of time. And um, that is always in comparison to the bigger thing, the, to, to eternity. So she, she's cared for yeah, there. Yeah. And then the, you know, the, again, the devil doesn't give up, right? So a few times now we're, we're we're seeing that like there is a persistence of the devil to to keep going after stuff he just you know he just doesn't get it right you know it's kind of like That's right. give up dude you lost just you know go home but <laughs> but he doesn't right so no he doesn't he doesn't just and just briefly the the three and a half times is the same as the three and a half years the 42 months the 1260 right. days all of those are the, the same time period that you were describing there. So as you said, though, the devil does not give up, even as the Lord is protecting his church, as he is nourishing his church, even in the wilderness. The way that John sees that in verse 15 is that the serpent pours water like a river out of his mouth after the woman, trying to sweep her away with the flood. But then the earth comes to rescue the woman, opening up its mouth, swallowing that river from the dragon. So what's going on here, Pastor Kilgore? Yeah, so I mean, this is one of these texts where like the first thing you have to say is not exactly sure, right? I mean, it's it's a it's it's an interesting picture, right? Um, there there are some yeah. things that we can do with it, but I think especially in the book of Revelation, um, you you have parts that you definitely want to be very careful with, not to be really, really dogmatic on and bind people's consciences sure. to because um, it it actually is not super clear, right? There, there's not a lot of uh, other reference that you can have for this, but there are a few things we can say. Uh, one, we know that we've been talking in the context of the Lord's word fighting against the devil's word. Well, another way to phrase that is um, true doctrine fighting against false doctrine. And so what is the the water here then a picture of it's a picture of the devil's assault on the church with false doctrine so the and i think we forget this sometimes we we think that like the the main danger to the church and we, we get this a lot especially right now just societally um we think that the main danger to the church is some sort of like societal oppression that you know people are going to be coming and knocking on our doors and asking us to you know uh, perform same-sex marriages or stuff, and then when we don't, then they're going to, like, sue us out of existence or something like that. You can't sue the church out of existence. You might not have a building, but the church is still going to be there. It's just going to be gathering somewhere else. Um, the 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 true threat to the church is not the world, 
um, it's not society. Um, it is false doctrine. It's always false doctrine because what happens with that is you don't even realize that you've actually stepped out of the Lord's care. So you've got this picture of the Lord caring for, for the woman and, and keeping her safe. That's with his word. His word is the thing that's keeping the, the, the woman, the, the church safe. And as soon as you step out from underneath that, you're not safe anymore. Uh, but you don't even realize it. You don't even realize that you're just sitting in the in the belly of the dragon, um, you know, uh, being dissolved away by the by the stomach juices or whatever, whatever's in the the belly of a dragon. Uh, it, but uh, it, it's like the, the the frog, the the adage of the frog getting getting boiled, right? You just turn the the temperature up little by little, and then the frog just dies in the pot. I think that's actually not true. I've been told that's actually not true. The frog will actually jump out of the pot when it gets too hot, but Regardless, it's a nice picture. Um, I, I like the picture of like being dissolved in the stomach acids of the dragon a little bit better. That, that's a more vivid. It, it fits with Revelation That's right. Well. So um, you don't even realize, though, most of the time when false doctrine is, is crept in, which is part of the reason why it's good for us to, um, to gather with each other, to talk through these things together, to hold each other accountable to the Lord's word, uh, not only internally as an individual congregation, but even in a larger sense, and this is one of the blessings of the the way, at least in theory, that we are set up as the Missouri Synod, right? That you have the local congregation, that you have the circuit, and then you have the kind of the, the region, and then you have the district, and then you have the the synod. And it kind of at every level, what what's what's supposed to be happening is you're kind of always challenging and pushing back at the at the scriptures to see is what we're talking about, is what we're believing, teaching, and confessing actually supported in the scriptures or not. And, you know, we've got uh, the uh, Synod Convention coming up, so this is maybe a good reminder. Anybody out there that's a delegate, uh, we always stand on the Word of God, right? Um, th this is the thing that, that is the, the foundation. Um, this is the thing that's going to fight against the, the flood of false doctrine coming from the, the devil's mouth. And we might say, okay, you know, the, the, we definitely don't want to flood, but what about a little bit of trickle, right? A trickle of water will eventually drown you as well. It just takes longer for it to happen. Um, and in a sense, it's all, almost more dangerous because you're going to take more generations with you. Um, so, so you're going to now, instead of just like, if you, if you flood the thing and the, and a whole church just, you know, over the course of a year, just makes this hard turn into false doctrine, everybody around can see it and they're like, whoa. That that's that's bad news, and you kind of your guard goes back up. The devil's smarter than that, though. The devil knows how we'll, we will react to this sort of thing, and so he is very patient. It he's urgent, but he's also patient, which is part of what makes him uh, a, a very deadly foe to deal with, and why we actually need to be in our Bibles. Why things like sharper iron is actually a really good thing for the church because we can continue digging at the scriptures. Uh, why you need to go to church and hear all this because. This is then, I, I think, uh, at least one of the pictures of the earth that's going on here. So the earth swallowing up the water. This is then a picture of the um, the of true doctrine or the Lord's protection against false doctrine. And you can hear uh, pictures of like the um, the the rebellion of Korah against Moses. And uh, Moses says, "Okay, Korah, you go stand over there, and everybody that stands with Korah, go stand with him." And then the Lord opens up the earth and swallows them, right? I mean, that li literally the Lord is there swallowing false doctrine. 
Um, and then conversely, you, you can hear the, the, the parable of the, uh, the church founded on the rock, where uh, Jesus says that the, the church that is founded on the rock, um, the, the winds blew and the, uh, then the waves crashed and um, beat on the house, but um, it did not fall because it was, it was founded on the rock. And you can hear also a little bit more true to this, um, that uh, Jesus, when he's talking to Peter and Peter gives this confession, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says that on this rock that is on the confession of who Jesus is, he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, right? The, the gates of hell simply cannot prevail against uh, the true doctrine of God's word. That That is always our defense. And that's even in, in Luther's... Um, uh, him when he says, you know, one little word can fell him. The the word is saying about the devil what God's word tells us to say about the devil, and that is that he's a liar, right? So that so that anything that comes out of the devil's mouth is a lie, and it, it and at that he's defeated because nobody's going to listen to someone who's always lying. Yeah, yeah. So we've seen the devil continue his attacks against the church. The Lord has come to the rescue of his church holding her steady, holding her firm, according to the truth of his word against the attacks of the devil in all false doctrine. But as we've said, he doesn't give up easily. So in verse 17, the dragon is furious yet again with the woman, recognizing that he's not going to be able to conquer her. He goes off to make war against the rest of her offspring. And I've always taken this as, as a reminder that the church will not be defeated but the devil will always attack individual Christians as well. And it seems to me that's what's happening here in verse 17. So just because the the church will always stand, don't fall asleep, don't lose your guard, because the devil will attack you, dear Christian. And, and yet, the way that you stand remains the same as the church as a whole. You hold on to the commandments of God, hold on to the testimony of Jesus, as, as John writes here. And then, of course, the dragon is there standing on the sand of the sea at the end of the chapter, getting ready for the, the vision that's coming of the two beasts in chapter 13. Got about three minutes here, Pastor Kilgo. Help us into this final verse. Help us to wrap things up this morning. Yeah, so so like you said, um, the, the devil attacks the church, um, and he attacks the the offspring of the church, which is Christians, uh, this is something that's good for us to remember. Uh, Luther talks about in the large catechism that the, um, the church is the mother that bears and begets all Christians on earth. And the way in which we are, we are begotten by the church as our spiritual mothers, uh, is through the word and baptism, right? So, so this is, this is how we're created, um, as, as new creatures in Christ. Um, but, what we should remember here is that the, the church is an, an institution by God that exists, and it's going to exist. Um, his, uh, you know, you can talk about God's kingdom, right? God's kingdom always exists. Um, the devil's not going to be able to destroy it. But, you know, in, in lieu of not being able to destroy the entirety of the church, um, he is going to try and pick off um, pieces of it, uh, members of it, here and there, in the same way that, you know, the wolf might not be able to or the lion might not be able to um, destroy the entire flock, but he can pick off scragglers here and there. And so it's this reminder, you know, how is it that you stand within the protective walls of this fortress that is Christ's church? And uh, this is where you know, maybe just rem remembering our, our small catechism a little bit would be helpful, right? God's kingdom comes when our Heavenly Father gives us his Holy Spirit 
so that by his grace we believe his holy word and lead godly lives here in time and there in eternity. So what's Luther saying? Like the, the way that you are, the way you know that you are in God's kingdom is by having the Holy Spirit, which again is giving to us through the word and baptism, Lord's Supper, absolution, these things, and um, and having God's word and leading holy lives according to that word, both here in time and there in eternity. And this is, again, this is the thing that's going to resist the devil. It's going to keep us firm in the faith. It's going to be the thing that's going to transmit this faith throughout the generations if we are concerned about the the church surviving, so to speak, or we should probably say Christians surviving because the church will survive. The gates of hell won't prevail against it, period. But if we want to see Christians still in in the future, the way that we do that is by transmitting God's word into future generations. And um, what what John writes here, those who are keeping the commandments of God and hold the witness of Jesus, right? That that is That is what we want to do. We want to hold on to the commandments and we want to uh, hold on to the witness of Jesus as Peter did. You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. And against that, the devil just can't can't win. I mean, he's going to get, um, you know, he's going to get big mad, as the as the youths might say today. Um, and he's just going to keep getting mad uh, over and over through the text. He just keeps getting mad, right? Well, he can get mad all he wants. He's lost, uh, and we are in Christ already victorious. He can harm us none. He's judged. The deed is done. He's a liar, and that destroys him. Pastor Sean Kilgo is pastor at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. He's been helping us today to study Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 to 17. Pastor Kilgo, thanks for being our guest today. Thanks for having me. One little word can fell this great, powerful dragon. Hold on to the word, Jesus Christ. He is your conquering hero. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about this part of Revelation 12, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.